Our scripture reading today is Psalm 81. Psalm 81. You can turn there or follow on the screen. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine. The sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Mirabah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come to you. We've sung of your faithfulness, and indeed it is new every morning. Your mercies that you've lavished on us as a people. And Father, we know those truths, but even this week, as we look at our country, as we look what's happening globally, what's happening with the church, we uh, are concerned, our hearts are heavy, we're easily distracted, we find ourselves wondering where are you in the midst of this? And yet we're reminded as we've been journeying through the life of Moses and the Israelites, you are right there. You are the sovereign God who protects and cares for your people. No state, no leader is going to thwart your plan. And in the midst of it, you wrap your loving arms around us and like the good shepherd, you guide us. Father, for some, the storms of life, those seas that seem to be insurmountable, or the enemy comes riding on the horses and can be seen on the horizon this past week, I just pray that today we could set all of that aside for a few minutes and allow your word to speak to our hearts. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the living word, Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, if you would, turn to Exodus chapter 15. 
if you have just joined us, we are traveling with Moses and company. In fact, in 15, 16, and 17, uh, we are going to look at all three texts today because this section is called the journey to God by many scholars. This is the path from the shores of the Red Sea all the way to the, the bottom of Mount Sinai and this wandering through the wilderness. And we're going to see this as we go along. So we're in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22. As you turn there, many of you know I, I, I led tours to biblical lands for nearly 20 years. And when you lead tours, you see people at their best and at their worst. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a lot of complaints, I can assure you. And, and some of them are very hilarious. Some of them, well, they're just actually a little pathetic. But I thought I might give you a sampling of the type of complaints that uh, I have heard. Uh, this one states, when we were in Greece, there were too many Greek people there. The receptionist <laughs> spoke Greek, and the food was Greek. No one told us that there would be so many foreigners. <laughs> Got it. Another one stated, it took us nine hours to fly from the U.S. to Rome. It took the French only a couple hours to get from Paris to Italy. This seems unfair. <laughs> Got it. I love this one. No one told us there would be fish in the water. Our children were scared. Yes, they got an A in school, I'm sure. This one states, although the brochure stated there was a full-equipped kitchen, there was no egg slicer in the drawers. <laughs> and then the last one, we had to line up outside to catch the boat, and there was no air conditioning. Sorry. <laughs> Complaining. Mark Twain states, don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of the people don't care, and the other 20% feel you deserve it. So there you are. <laughs> Complaining. It might surprise you, but recent research from Stanford indicate that exposure to just 30 minutes of complaining, whether you're the one doing it or those around you, it will physically damage your brain. In fact, further research has showed that complaining can increase your risk of depression, digestive problems, sleep issues, heart disease, and high blood pressure. Ouch. Israel is not exempt from that which is one of the favorite pastimes of humanity, and that is to complain. The Israelites were going to see in this spiritual journey, in these three events that we're going to look at this morning, we'll look at the fourth event in two weeks from now. Next week's focus is going to be looking at what God is doing at our church at CBF and where we are headed, so you won't, Lord willing, miss that. I'm excited to see and rehearse God's blessings and, and where he's leading us and then we'll resume Exodus. But these three episodes are marked with complaints, anger, bitterness at what God is doing. And, and they all surround the physical needs. You need water, you need food. So isn't that legit that they're, they're challenging Moses on this? We'll see that, that as we go along. For the Lord's perspective, these three episodes are crucial. He is preparing them for when he gives them the law. He's trying to show them that Moses is your leader and underlining all of it is the Lord saying, I am God. You're to worship me. And you're to be obedient. So let's look at 1522. And let's just look at the text here. This is the first episode we're going to examine. It says, Moses caused Israel to journey from the Red Sea and they went out to the desert of Shur. 
they were three days into the desert. Now keep that in mind, Red Sea, three days out, and they have no water. They came to Marah, but they were not able to drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. That is why the name was called Marah. It's the term Naomi uses when she comes back from Moab. She's lost her husband and her sons, and she goes, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. I'm thinking, Ruth, I'd find somebody else to company, you know, travel with. That's a real bummer. But anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Verse 24, so the people murmured against Moses. What can we drink? Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the waters, the waters became safe to drink. There he made for them a binding ordinance, that is the Lord, and there he tested them and said, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, then all the diseases that I put on the Egyptians I will not put on you, for I, the Lord, am and your healer. Then they came to Elam, which means a place of rest. Uh, it's typical, the Lord takes us through a trial, and then there's a respite where they were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. Uh, the Jewish writings of the intertestament period says it was 12 wells for every tribe, or one, tri one well for each tribe, and the 12 palm trees were, or 70, were for the uh, 70 elders. Let's look at this text. What's the problem? It's very clear. They cannot drink the water. It's bitter. Uh, another way to render maybe perhaps the Hebrew is that it's very salty. You cannot drink this. You know, if you try drinking water from the ocean, yucky, yucky. You know, no way. Can't do it. And just as water was an issue for Egypt, <laughs> one, more ways than one, right? It's what started the plagues. It also is what ended the Egyptians, at least the elite army and Pharaoh at the Red Sea, water will become an issue here for the Israelites. And in both cases, there is an opportunity that God is seeking for the people to know him and for God to reveal his glory to his people. What's amazing to me is what I just highlighted there in the text. Go back to verse 15, back to 1522. It says, they were three days into the desert. Those mouths that were praising God three days earlier on the shores of the Red Sea are now the very mouths that are accusing God that he doesn't care and complaining on what God has provided. The great offense here is they are not running to the Lord, are they, for their concerns? You just witnessed God hold back the waters and you walked on dry land. Shouldn't you go to the Lord and say, hey, you know, we don't have any water here. Could you please provide? No, they, they, they go to Moses. And one of the things you're gonna see as we go through the three episodes, Moses is not the ultimate leader. It's the Lord. And that's, watch that as we, we go along. John Calvin in his commentary on this section makes a great statement. Herein we see the unmeasurable mercy of God who beneath his dignity changed the nature of the water, the bitter water to drinkable water, for the purpose of supplying such wicked, rebellious, and ungrateful people. Right? You're three days out. You're like a bunch of little kids, right? On a family trip. 
I don't want to go to the water. I don't want to be in the water. I don't want to leave the water. You go back and forth. Psalm 106 says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. Listen to this psalm. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Spiritual amnesia serves as a very effective tool of Satan. How soon we can forget some of life's most incredible provisions. I mean, think about how the Lord has blessed you. You have enough health to be here this morning. You might have some aches and pains, but you're here. You've got, you've got family. You have a friend. You've got a church. We live in a free country. There's so much to be grateful for. And like the Israelites, we soon forget. And, and, and the Lord comes along with the Israelites. And what's more shocking to me is not the three days and then their response, but it's what God does. There is no lightning bolt from the sky. <laughs> it's a good thing I wasn't the Lord here in this scene, right? I'm like, you're done. You got to be kidding. After all I've done for you? You, you question my ability? Instead, the Lord, there's no rebuke, is there? Did you see that in the text? The people murmured. Moses brings it to the Lord. And what's the Lord do? He says, show, he shows Moses a tree. Now, some scholars would like to state that this is some type of, a, type of wood that the ash is used and it, it turns salty water into pure water. Well, we're not talking about a bucket, a five-gallon jug. We're talking about enough water to feed an entire nation. This is a miracle nonetheless. And the Lord says, I'm doing all this so that you will obey me, that you'll follow. Again, this is a precursor to what we're going to find at Mount Sinai when God delivers the, the Mosaic Covenant, the, the Ten Commandments, and all that that entails. And the Lord says here, I'm gonna, if you obey all these things, I will keep you from the diseases that I put on the Egyptians. If you read the Ten Plagues, none of those were diseases. But the side effects of those plagues certainly would have led to such things as dysentery, perhaps bacterial infections that could have occurred from the water, and etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And I love what the Lord says to the Israelites. He says, I, the Lord, look at this in verse 26, am your healer. I'm Yahweh Rapha. I am the one who heals you. I am the one who, who brings both physical and spiritual soundness, wellness. That's the idea of, of this term. Psalm 103, God is who heals all of our diseases. We serve a God who's not only the great physician, but he's the source of life. He's the source of living water, isn't he? And as you look at this text, I couldn't help but think of what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. Come drink, I'll give you water, you'll never thirst again. John 7, anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Revelation 22, who's ever thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the, the free gift of the water of life. Not trying to spiritualize the, te the text here, uh, but perhaps this week, perhaps it's been ongoing, there is bitter waters that you feel like you're facing. It's like, Lord, where are you in this? Don't forget, he is the great physician. He is the one that says, come, drink from this water. I love the whole scene with the Samaritan woman because you know, she has that bucket. The text says she left her bucket and went and shared the good news. Why? She doesn't need the bucket. She's drank from the living water, which is Christ. 
And, and so here in this great scene, the Israelites complain. We don't have water. It's bitter. What are we going to do? And God says, Moses, here's what we're going to do. Take care of this. No rebuking. A gentle reminder that the Lord, from the Lord saying, I am the one. I am the one who's going to provide. I am the great healer. And you say, oh, this is great. They got it. They finally understood. No, turn to chapter 16. Look at verses 1 through 15. Look what happens in 16.1. It says, when they journeyed from Elam. Again, Elam was that oasis, that, that respite for them. They, it says, the entire company of Israelites came to the desert of Sin, or Zin. Don't confuse that. It's not what's going to happen here is Sin. We will have that, but the name is Zin, really, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their exodus from the land of Egypt. In other words, we're one month out from when they crossed the Red Sea. We're only two weeks going to the Mount Sinai. So this tells you the time frame. And the entire company of Israelites, now it's the entire group. Notice what the text says. They murmured against Moses and Aaron in the desert. Now they're going to throw Aaron into the mix. <laughs> the Israelites said to them, All oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, but you have brought us out into the desert to kill the assembly with hunger. Really? And then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people will go out and gather a certain amount each day that I may test them whether they will walk in the law or not. Again, precursor to the law being given. And on the sixth day, they will prepare what, what they bring in and it will be twice as much because on the Sabbath day, they are not together. And on this, in verse 6, Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's going to provide quail. So they have meat at night. They've got the manna in the morning. And the text says, and in the morning you will see his glory of the Lord because he has heard your murmuring against, I love this, the Lord. And what, and what are we that we should murmur against us? And Moses said, you will know this when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning to satisfy. Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, say to all the community of the Israelites, come before the Lord, because he has heard your murmuring. Look at verse 10. It says, and there the glory of the Lord appeared. In verse 12, I've heard the murmurings of Israelites tell them during the evening you will eat flesh, the morning you will be satisfied with bread, so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The first episode, the problem is the water is bitter. Second episode, they're hungry. We're now a month in. The stockpile of food, the, the baklava is wearing, is, you know, it's depleted. We need food. And, and so in this, we see complaining. This time, it is, you know, complaining is contagious. <laughs> and now the entire congregation is gathered in. In fact, so much so that the text mentions murmuring four times here. Four times they complain. We, we don't have food. We're in trouble. And look at their complaint. Look at the text. This is so significant. The lack of food really isn't true. What do I mean by that? Because in Exodus 17, which we're going to see in a minute, they complain because they don't have water for their livestock. You got bobos, kill them. 
You got meat? What are you complaining about? This idea, no, we don't have anything to eat. They have livestock. Secondly, they're not only dishonest, they exaggerated their former situation. You had pots of meat with Pharaoh and the Egyptians ruling over you? I don't think so. The Egyptians didn't eat a lot of meat in their diet, so I don't think that happened. Third, the Israelites impugned the motives of the leaders. This is significant. They are now really crossing the line. In fact, the text tells us those four times that it says they murmur, the text also tells us all four times they're murmuring against the Lord. The one who brought you out of Egypt, the one who delivered you from the enemy at the Red Sea, the one who turned the bitter water to drinking water, and now you're complaining? Grumbling and complaining usually distorts reality, doesn't it? Those who play the victim card often have a distorted view of what is true, and their rhetoric often entails, might I say, nonsense. <laughs> That's the problem with the victim card. Ugh. Uh, look at the Israelites. They exaggerated their former situation. They wished they had never been saved. The villain, old Pharaoh, is now like a good old boy, right? Look what he did for us. And Moses, who they hailed as the great leader, now he's a public figure of scorn and ridicule. It's quite the contrast in the midst of this. And what is God's response? Verses 4 and 5, look at this in chapter 16. He says, this is so that you will know. God's desire is for them to have a relationship with him. In his grace and his mercy, we see that so that they will know who he is. You would think by now they would have a better idea, but they're still struggling. It's interesting, in 16.3, there's a very profound statement made. Look what they state in 16.3 in the midst of their grumbling and complaining. The Israelites said to them, that's Moses and Aaron, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. That, that you have brought us out of this idea is what is seen here in 16.3. We will see it later in 17.3. They will accuse Moses of bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And yet, what does God say in verse 6? 16.6 says, Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the midst of the grumbling and complaining, cataracts are over the eyes, and they're missing God's provisions, God's leadership, God's care, God the great healer. They're missing all of this in the midst of their complaining. God is with them. He is present. He cares for them. And we see that time and time again in the text. And, and also with it, you see the presence of God's glory, which is a strong indication he is with them. One commentator states, God did not perform this miracle simply because his people begged for it. This is good. He says he provided them bread for his own glory. Now, we could talk about what is manna. What's clear in the text, it's small. It's easy to pick up. Uh, it resembles honeycombs. No, I don't know. It's white. It's clear, right? It's clean. It's safe to eat. It possesses a sweet taste. It can be apparently eaten raw or cooked, and it satisfies the hunger. But what is it? We don't know. In fact, it comes from the Hebrew word mah, which means what? And one scholar calls it uh, the whatchamacallit. Uh, we, we don't know what it is. 
uh, Paul tells us it's a heavenly food or the, the food of the angels. But what is clear in all of this, and I love, this is just like the Lord. They are going to have a daily reminder. Every morning, you got to pick up your bread. Every evening, before you go to bed, you're going to find God's provision again. You're going to start the day, you're going to end the day with God providing and caring for you, lest you forget. Isn't that great? Deuteronomy 8 states, so he humbled you by making you, speaking of the Israelites, hungry and then feeding you with unfamiliar manna. What's I'm going to call it? He did this to teach you that men and women cannot live by food alone, but also by everything that comes out of the Lord's mouth. God is wooing this nation. He is grooming them to be ones that are in allegiance, in, 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 in obedience, walking humbly before their God. And they've got a lot of lessons. And you go, okay, great. Now we've got the manna. And we got the quail at night. That should resolve all problems. Look at chapter 17. The next event. 17.1. And all the community of the Israelites traveled on their journey from the desert of Zen, according to the instruction of the Lord, and they pitched camp at Rephidim. Now there was no water for the people to drink. Here we go again. So the people... Uh, strove with Moses and they said give us water to drink and Moses said to them why do you strive with me why do you test I love this the Lord Moses is so good he said the issue isn't with me it's with God but the people trust uh, thirsted for the water and they murmured against Moses and why in the world did you bring us out of Egypt he didn't to kill us and our sons and our cattle with thirst so there's the reference to livestock and Moses cried out to the Lord, what will I do with this people? <laughs> a little more and they will stone me. According to rabbinic literature, not only did they murmur at this point, they sought to kill Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, go over before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take the, in your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile. The one that brought death is now going to bring life. Take it, and I will be standing before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so the people may drink. And Moses did so in plain view of the elders. And it says, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Has two names. Why? Because this is the first time the Israelites not only complain, murmur, they also are testing the Lord. Because of the striving of the Israelites and because of their testing, the text tells us it is the Lord who is in your midst, is he not? So here we come to the third phase, and this time there's no water whatsoever. It's not only, it's not only bitter water, there's no water, right? What are we going to do? And I love that Masa is the place of testing, is what that term means. Meribah is the place of arguing. In other words, you have Testaton and Complainingsburg right here, right? Here we've got these two spots this uh, names for this reference that here calls and those two terms as the text that was read earlier in psalm 81 will occur 13 times in the old testament their reminders to the israelites don't do what your fathers did at meribah and massa don't do it <laughs> have you not forgotten who i am now think about this they're complaining this is the third event we're not that far away from when the Red Sea occurred, all right? So they can't say they have, uh, you know, Alzheimer's is setting in. No, can't, can't argue that. Secondly, 
Remember, they're gathering bread every morning and the quell at night in the midst of this complaining. <laughs> really? Are you serious? And the intensity of the complaining has only grown. The first time in chapter 15 that we saw, they simply questioned. Chapter 16, there's questioning and murmuring, and now it's the entire congregation. Chapter 17, not only is there murmuring, complaining, and testing, they're seeking to, to kill Moses. And so you see this intensity growing. And there's three major problems with chapter 17 with the Israelites. Their response is a sin because, one, it demands God's provisions— it's a sin because it denied God's protection, and it's sin because they doubt God's presence. Watch this as we go through demanding God's provision, denying God's protection, and doubting his presence. The text tells us, verses 2 and 7, that they test Moses, or to test God, ultimately. And the term there is a legal term. Same with Meribah and Masa. In other words, it's as if they're setting up a case uh, a vote of no confidence, a parliamentary procedure against God Almighty. We don't like you. <laughs> We're tired of this. What's wrong here? Right? This is the one that brought you out. In Deuteronomy 6, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massa, this third location. One scholar writes, to test God is to pose an ultimatum in which we decide what should count as evidence of God's presence and then decide on God's presence or absence on the basis of whether God has met the test we have posed. Whew, serious problems. And as we see here, they murmur not only against Moses and what he has done, but they're also complaining and ultimately not even giving God credit for bringing them out of Egypt. It's tough. And, and in fact, human nature is, the more we receive, the easier it is to expect and to forget where we originated, isn't it? You were slaves in Egypt. You didn't have baklava. You were struggling. In fact, you had to find your own straw. And you saw God deliver you, and you've complained, you've complained, and you've complained. Pack your bags, we're going home. All right? That's what I'd say as a parent. I've had it. Forget this trip to Florida. This idea here, God in his grace, but at the same time, he's wooing them. And Psalm 78 says, Yet they sin still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. Verse 22 of Psalm 78 says, because they didn't, watch this, they did not believe in God. They did not trust his saving power. And in verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. We're going to get to the problem with complaining in a minute. <laughs> it's a real danger, isn't it? Do we trust the Lord? Do we look to him? Or in our fretting and worrying, we forget that he is the one who parts Red Seas. He's the one who leads people through the desert and provides. Well, this time, God gets a little testy here in verse 4. He kind of rebukes, doesn't he, Moses, we see here. Uh, Moses? And part of this isn't just for the Israelites. Part of this is honing this, the leadership skills for Moses. 
and, and helping him as he leads these people. And so the scene is, is provided there, the water. And God states in Psalm 95 today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah or Massah, where your fathers tested and tried me. God provides here for his people uh, once again in preparation for what is going to occur at Mount Sinai. Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, watch him call it, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Where did God stand? On the rock, the text tells us. Later, there will be a similar scene that will get Moses in serious trouble. <laughs> but for the time being, God continuing to provide, continuing to protect, continuing to lead his people and is in their midst, in the, even in their grumbling, even in their complaining. That's the Lord providing and caring for his people. Well, this is a little convicting, isn't it? At least it is for me. In fact, Paul goes on to state in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Now these things took place, what he just recorded, at Meribah, Massa, all those situations that we just looked those three episodes. He said, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Then Paul states, do not grumble as some of them did. These were written down for our instruction. Bitterness does not come in the outward circumstances. It is an inward response. Let me give you some dangers of complaining, not only for your health, as we saw at the opening, but let me give you some dangers of complaining or grumbling. I've got seven of them. First, it fails to recognize what the Lord has done for us. It smacks of ingratitude, right? And you, it, It's easy to look at these Israelites and go, you bunch of louses, you gotta be kidding. Well, look what God's done for us. Right? We, we complain because there's no room in the refrigerator for my leftovers. Really? It fails to recognize what the Lord has done. Secondly, it fails to give God glory, which is clearly true with the Israelites. Third, it fails to follow, allow the Lord to lead. In fact, complaining implies our ways are more important than His, and we know exactly what He needs to do. Fourth, it fails to trust in the Lord. I love this quote. It said, if Christians spend as much time praying as grumbling, they would soon have nothing to grumble about. Ouchie. So it fails to trust in the Lord. Here's another problem with complaining. It misses God's blessing and provisions. <laughs> they're gathering the bread in the morning, the quail at night, and they're upset about water. Really? If God can bring whatchamacallit, I think he can handle the water. Another, it impugns God's character and claims him to be unjust. Listen to what the Israelites are saying. It's dangerous ground. They test the Lord, and this becomes a problem, so much so that later in Numbers, there's a similar instant. At that point, we are post-covenant, and I think the distinction in Numbers 11, when God pulls out a paddle and he really spanks the Israelites, 
It's because I've given you the covenant. I extended grace. There's no more. Give me the paddle. Boom. Right? It impugns God's character. It claims him to be unjust. And finally, it denies that God's grace is sufficient. <laughs> it denies that God's grace is sufficient. We do not need to be known if we are Christ's followers as grumblers and complainers. Do we? We as a church should not be marked by grumbling and complaining. Yuck. We don't need it. In fact, I would argue if you can't overcome it, you might want to find another church. <laughs> this should not mark us as followers of God. And I love the motto, the mission of our church. It's to love God and love others. A complaining spirit, one commentator writes, always indicates a problem in one's relationship with God. And so we look at these Israelites, these three episodes, and we go, yeah, that happened back then. But the scripture is full of examples of, of in fact, how, how do we overcome complaining? You know, it's so easy, isn't it? Especially when the chaos of this world we're living in. I mean, everyone's complaining. The tensions are high. You know, what do you do with all this? Well, let me give you a few ways this week to work on complaining. Every time you hear yourself complain this week, listen carefully to what you're talking, what you say. Recite three areas in which you need to praise the Lord. So if you complaint comes out of your mouth, then give three praises to God. One for three, right? Or here's another. Make a list of all the things you're grateful for in your life and then pray through that list the entire week. So go home today, make a list. Get out a three-by-five card. Just fill it up. Here's what God has done. And this week, I'm going to praise Him for this. Perhaps you need to have someone hold you accountable. Perhaps your tongue is always lashing out. You know, it's, it's always got something nasty to say. Perhaps you need to have someone say, hey, I love you, and I want you to tell me when I'm wrong. Or perhaps you need to confront someone a family or a friend. You know, you love Jesus, but every time you talk, it's always a complaint. Give me something positive. Or perhaps it's to memorize a verse. And let me give you two verses that you might want to work on one or both this week. Philippians 4.11, I have learned, Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul said that when he was imprisoned. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. And everything what? Give thanks. You Israelites, you, you, you've seen God's hand. You've seen his provision. He's told you he's the great healer. He's the one who's performed unbelievable miracles. You think he's going to hang you out to dry? He's got a lot invested in this. His reputation is on the line. And you, who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has gone to great lengths. He gave his son to die on a cross. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment for your salvation. And his reputation is on the line. Because he says he cares for his flock. He cares for his people. So if his people are complaining, what does that tell the world about your provider? He can't do it? Yes, he can. Philippians 4, 19, God will meet your every need. In 2 Peter 1, uh, 3, God promises to give us everything we need for life and godliness. That's the God we serve. And so, as you go home and you pick up the whatchamacallit, or you, you, you get the quail at night, don't forget, 
Where does that originate? Who is providing? Who cares for you? Right? It's our God. And so may we be known as a, a grateful people who loves a God who cares so deeply for us. Amen? Amen. Father, we come to you and we indeed, <laughs> it's so easy. I'll be the first to confess. It's too hot. It's, it's too cold. <laughs> a room full of, a closet full of clothes. I can't find anything that fits. Don't know where to put the leftovers in the refrigerator. The list goes on. And you stop and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm no different than the Israelites. I have so much to be grateful for. And first and foremost is my salvation because of your son. Father, may we be known as people full of gratitude. May the grumbling, complaining not be there. And as Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 10, may we not forget these events that have been recorded back in Exodus are a reminder to us to be faithful, to be obedient, and not to test you, O oh Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done, all you are doing, and all that you will do for us. We marvel and bask in your love. In Jesus' name.